Hello everyone. Continuing with our theme of beauty entrepreneurship, I'm honored to have Matthew Herman of Boismals as my guest this week. His gender neutral or as he calls it gender full brand started off with candles, then he introduced underwear and now has a very interesting perfume line. Boismals is a brand built on authenticity and I'm sure we will see many more exciting things from them in the future. It was a very inspiring and lovely conversation and I hope you will enjoy it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so you are in LA? I am, yeah. I'm in Paris. Oh, amazing. Yes. How was that? It's actually extremely rainy here tonight. Extremely oh. rainy and very cold. I love Paris. Yes. But I haven't been back since like the beginning of March in what, what was it? 2020. Exactly. I read actually your interview at American Express when you talk about how you pivoted your business and it was during the fashion week at Paris. Yeah, we were there and, um, you know, we had all these appointments booked and like, you know, everybody was coming and then like Nordstrom emailed us uh, and they were like, which is a major department store in the US. And then they were like, because that was when and they're based in Seattle. That's when like the cruise ship had come to Seattle and they had like infected. Oh my God. It was like the first outbreak in the US was like there. And then they were like, oh my gosh, like like corporate says that we can't travel and all this stuff. And so then like, you know, people who were in Milan for Fashion Week started being like, oh, like we're not allowed to get on our flights and you know, Northern Italy, there's an outbreak here. And like, people were like renting cars to drive from Milan to Paris. And then by the time we actually opened market, like literally like every single, except for two stores, like every single store and department store had canceled their appointments. So it was just crazy. And then, you know, we left and went back a day early and you know, just of like about a week after we got back, it was just the entire world was just shut down. It was so crazy. Wow. Incredible. I, I mean, I hope you can come back to Paris. I'm traveling to US next week, actually, to see. Oh, nice. Yes. My my husband is American and uh, his family is in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. So we are. I can't wait. We haven't seen them in two years. Oh, that'll be so nice. It's an extremely long time to not see your family. It's extremely long. So you, your background is in fashion. I know you lived in London. I, you know, I did my little bit research, (laughs) but of course I want to hear from you. Your background is in fashion. Can you tell us more about yourself? And I know you are from Austin, Texas, right? If I'm correct. Yeah. I was born and raised in Austin, you know, which is like a very creative, uh, town. It's in Texas, but it's like kind of like a liberal, like oasis in Texas. Um, there's a lot of music there. There's a big university there, but it's always kind of been like a very creative uh, city. So I grew up there and then, you know, I really wanted to be a fashion designer. So I ended up going to a school in London called Central St. Martin's, which um, a lot of, you know, famous fashion designers have graduated from. Um, and I had such a wonderful time living in, in London. And like, I also think that like, there's a certain like sense of humor 
like in the arts in London and like in British culture that like, it was the first time I kind of think I like understood how you could combine like sophistication and fashion and luxury with like humor and like um, irreverence and, you know, like just kind of postmodern referencing and like mixing of references and things like that. So, you know, when I, when I went there, like I really started to like kind of have a deeper appreciation for like the subversiveness that like humor and irreverence can have in luxury. And I think a lot of that really translates now into what Boy Smell stands for and why it is successful and attractive. Um, I was really lucky. I, I interned for Giles Deacon for a long time there. And so I tangentially got to work with like Katie Grand a little bit, who has like, you know, Pop and Love Magazine, it was Pop at the time. And like, you know, um, I really kind of like, like that, the more kind of like pop cultural references and that kind of like uh, adding a little absurdity into things, like I was like really influential on me. Um, because before that, I was just like, I love like pattern making and like I studied like Cristobal Balenciaga and I love like more kind of like, I liked avant-garde designers like McQueen and stuff like that. But like, you know, the the more like postmodern pop cultural stuff, like I really grew to love when I was in London. And I think that, you know, um, the Boy Smells brand, calling it Boy Smells, but putting it in pink packaging and like really mixing references in the way that we create scents and like kind of breaking the rules and breaking the boundaries. Like a lot of that comes from my creative education. So after I lived in London, I worked for Giles for a while. I moved to New York where I worked for a couple of different uh, luxury designers. I spent the most time at Zach Posen which was fun creating kind of like very intricate gowns and learning a lot about construction and uh, corsetry and stuff like that. And then I moved out to Los Angeles um, to work in my first fast fashion job at Nasty Gal, which was really cool. And there was a lot of excitement around that company at the time. Um, it was the first kind of like internet or D to C e-commerce type of thing I'd ever done. It was the first time that I'd ever done what I guess is called fast fashion, but it was really exciting because that, that company was still very, very design driven. So we could still buy like vintage Alaya, vintage Gautier and like, you know, like bring in these like really like crazy and fun avant-garde references, but then bring that to, you know, like more economic uh, lens, I guess. So that was really fun. And when I was there, you know, um, the founder of Nasty Gals, a woman named Sophia Amoroso, and she wrote a book, uh, Hashtag Girl Boss. And it was really about like the book really kind of like demystified a lot of like entrepreneurship. And um, at that time, I was dating the other co-founder of Boy Smells, David. You know, we were talking about wanting to have a store that was kind of like catered to who we were as individuals, which were both queer uh, individuals. And, you know, we like, like the women's boutiques were so cool. Um, but there wasn't like necessarily stuff there for us. And the men's boutiques like weren't cool and we didn't like the style. And then like, you know, the gay boutiques felt like, like this only this one version of gay and like it, we just wanted to do things that were boundary less, you know? And so at that time I was also like, 
kind of going through a second coming of age where like I was embracing, you know, I guess like a more true sense of my identity. Cause as queer individuals, we often kind of like make micro adjustments to who we are and who, and how we appear to people so that like, we're more palatable to our family where it's easier to make friends or like, it feels less scary to that we will be rejected by people. So, you know, as a gay queer individual, you know, I was trying to like peel away the onion and be like, well, who, who am I really, if I'm not trying to like appeal to everybody else. And a big part of that for me was wearing more feminine Mm -hmm. scent notes and fragrances and like going to the perfume side of the fragrance counter versus the cologne side. And that was really powerful. And there were other things, you know, that I was doing to embrace my true identity, but that's really the time that we created boy smells was to, you know, call it boy smells, but put it in a pink box. And it was kind of the sense of permission to embrace fragrance that was like, outside of like what is supposed to be for you or like supposed to be for your gender. And, you know, there's a lot of sexism implied in traditional fragrance. Men are supposed to smell like woods or musks because they're strong and animalistic. And that's really kind of like toxic masculinity, like in an idea of fragrance, right? And then women are supposed to smell like flowers or fruits because they're delicate and fragile and emotional and like that's like this idea of like female fragility kind of like in like fragrance you know so you know we need to like as people we have a spectrum of power within ourselves that is both masculine and feminine we need to be tapped into our emotions we need to be tied into our instincts like those things like, you know, those inform our intuition and really guide us through life. And so we celebrate that, like with the fragrances that we make, we make, you know, we mix traditionally masculine and feminine things together, but we call that gender full at voicemails versus gender less. So gender, like gender full is just about like abundance and like tapping into your full spectrum of power and you know, when we launched the brand, all of my girlfriends loved it, which I thought like, just like my gay guy friends would love it. But like all of my girlfriends loved it because for them, it was like, you know, working in fashion, all of my girlfriends were wearing like Tuscan leather by Tom Ford or Santal 33 from the Labo that were kind of like traditionally more masculine scent notes are in there. And I realized it was like a sense of permission, you know, for, for everybody, you know, it just opened the door for everybody to be able to kind of express themselves in the way that felt right to them. And I really believe that as individuals, we have the right to define ourselves and the way that we want to be seen and the way that we want to see ourselves. And it can be really hard to erase the boxes and the expectations that society, you know, places on us. And sometimes you just need that sense of permission in order to explore that. It's amazing. I'm listening to you and I feel very inspired and very impressed by your vision 
and the fact that you oh, thank you you know it's uh, and it made me emotional actually when you said i had to make micro micro adjustments in order to be palatable to my friends to my family it uh, i don't even know what to say it made me emotional to just hear this it's uh, i'm speechless that <laughs> you know but that's i think that's a universal thing right like like i think everybody at some point in their life has felt misunderstood or misrepresented or even by the people that love them that someone's idea of you is smaller than like what you know to be your true potential and that's a painful experience yeah for anyone you know and that's a part of society and it's a part of growing up you know i think that as queer individuals maybe sometimes we're a little bit more aware of it you know because it's maybe a, a bigger part of our lives and and all that to say like I, my parents and my family are incredibly supportive and have been like i couldn't like i have a probably a best in case scenario in comparison to other people that i know but you do like you know when you grow up kind of being aware that like i remember like even when i was a little kid kind of like being at my parents bathroom you know in their vanity and like my mom had like a powder from you know somewhere like like london maybe and it smelled like lilac or something and i remember being more drawn to that than like my dad's cologne from polo or whatever but i remember thinking like that's a little dangerous like that's not supposed to be for me and i and i really wish and hope that like boy smells kind of is like creates like this world and you know we happen to make candles and find fragrance now but i'd love for us to expand into more things and we have plans to expand into more things within the bathroom but i think growing up you know the bathroom can be a very like gendered space and you really learn a lot about gender and the expectations of your gender through the bathroom and you really kind of look up to your parents in the bathroom and their stuff and your mom's stuff you know you like i think everybody remembers that stuff as a kid and so, you know, I really hope that like by creating voice smells that it's kind of like a cool brand that really celebrates identity beyond those kind of old, like limited constructs. Absolutely. And, you know, it's very clever. It says voice smells and immediately I have an idea how it's going to smell. Yeah. And, you know, I have an idea how it's going to smell and then it's in a pink box. I discovered you actually on Instagram and then I followed you on Instagram. Then I was reading business of fashion articles because that's my job. I, I write I write about fashion. I do my research. And, uh, you know, you came up in the interview and I remember what you were saying was so interesting because one of the things I talk about creating a fashion brand, beauty brand, in order to make it very successful you almost have to have a vision of how the industry is going to change mm -hmm. and you have to be able to adapt to cultural change and what you've done with voice smells reminds me very much of that because you know the way we are progressing the way the industry is changing you are doing something very very different thank you so much for saying that i, I think it also goes back to kind of like my education and like brand concept and brand narrative and stuff like that i think is always just as, as important as the product i'm really proud to like say that boy smells has exceptionally good product you know and that's why people always 
come back to buy. But, you know, if we, especially looking at like uh, millennial and Gen Z consumers, like who I think really resonate with what we talk about, we know that we're successful with them because they have really evolved ideas around gender and, you know, they align themselves and make purchase decisions based on the morals or the codes or the values of the brand in addition to if they like the product. So, um, you know, it's very important to us to live by what the brand stands for. And I think that we have a lot of customer loyalty because of it. Um, it's not why we made the brand, you know, like it's very authentic to who we are as human beings, you know, the owners of the brand. But I do think that it is, um, it has been a factor of our success because we do talk to our customer in an authentic way that, you know, is hopefully, I hope contributing to the conversation around, you know, what gender and identity and acceptance and self-acceptance means, you know, sometimes people are like, well, it's just a candle. And I'm like, yes, it is. But like, you know, it, I don't know, for me, fragrance was a big part of like me accepting my identity in an authentic way. So they are just objects. They are just fragrance, but like, you know, I, we get letters from people and people tell us that like the brand means more to them than just that. And that's like, super powerful and really makes us feel wealthy outside of, you know, financial success. Absolutely. And how did you create the brand DNA, you know, putting it in a pink box, the name, how did that creative process uh, develop? That was, it was just totally instinctual. We were just like making candles for like friends and family. And then we were just like, let's like try, let's like, you know, what, what if we like, you know, come up with a name and like, put it in a box and like make it fancy and like, you know, like, let's like, you know, try it. And we were just like, let's call it boy smells and put it in a pink box. And like it, that was just so true to us at that time, but we weren't even really thinking about like, Oh, this breaks the gender binary or this disrupts, you know what I mean? These outdated expectations. Like it was really a, like a year or two after we created the brand that we were like, why is this successful? Why did we do this? Like, you know, and how does this reflect who we are? And it was like really kind of like unconscious that, you know, what we did, but like looking back and like knowing where I was at that time and having like, you know, they say like hindsight is 2020 um, is a saying in, in the US, which means basically you have like looking backwards, you always have much more clear of course. Uh, perspective on what happened and we really just like did what we thought was right for us and felt right for and that we thought was cool and we let that guide us and then you know looking back i'm like oh that's because we were going through this and like we were you know you know like trying to say hey our femininity is like a really important part of our masculinity you know and like like as people who identify as men, you know, femininity is like integral to who we are as individuals, but it doesn't make us any less valuable. And like to put that on a brand 
and put it on a big sign and go out there and say, Hey, you should buy this product for us. Like was a liberating experience because like, it also said like, you know, we value ourselves enough to like, like be proud of this and stand and put and get out in front of it. And I don't think I realized like how universal that was for everyone. And like how at the beginning of the brand, our consumer was like 70% female, you know? And like, I didn't realize like how universal that sentiment was. And, you know, like so many of my girlfriends, like they're wearing like a big chunky Rolex or like, you know, they're wearing, you know, a blazer, which is like, I know not by any means revolutionary, but like that is in a way about like crossing the binary and being like, you know, these things that were reserved for men, like I encompass that power spectrum also, you know, and like we're living in a world where like Harry Styles is on the cover of Vogue in a dress and like Mm -hmm. no one's even being like caring if he's gay, bisexual, straight or whatever. It's just like, it's about self-expression and like that's sexy and that's cool. And, you know, I, I just think it's, it's awesome to be like in whatever small way we can, we're contributing to that, that conversation. Absolutely. And you spoke to many, many people, many, many people. And it's beyond the product as I'm listening to you, you are not just selling perfume or, or, and you know, as a, when we talk about beauty, fashion, we always say you are not selling, you know, Ralph Lauren has this very famous quote. No, I don't design a dress. I design dreams. And yeah. you know, it's actually, but in reality, it's, and as a consultant, as a writer, I talk about creating your brand DNA, which is why I ask you the question. Mm-hmm. And it's always very challenging to do that. Like, how do you bring all that emotion, hard work, quality, everything, who you are, and just create a product with the correct color, correct packaging, the correct name, and so on. So you've done a very good job. Thank you. Whenever people ask this, you know, I, I wish I could say like, oh, we sat down and wrote a three-year plan and we did, you know, and we looked at the demographics of changing notions around gender and, you know, like we didn't, I think it's easy looking backwards to be like, oh, success. If we had to do it from scratch, I don't know if I could do it again. Sometimes being like better informed about these things isn't necessarily, it makes you overthink things. Um, So it was, I'm glad that we, I I think there was also something like about like, we didn't feel like we had anything to lose. Yes. You know, because it was like a side hustle. It was like, we were going to literally do it for fun like at night when we got home from our regular jobs, but we were never like, we never, even when we started the brand, we weren't like, oh, we're going to quit our job in two years. And like, then, you know, we'll make it our, like, we were just like having fun, you know what I mean? And we wanted to put effort into something for ourselves, but it has turned out to be a bigger, it has become a bigger business than I think we kind of expected it would, which has been really fun and scary and exciting, you know, all at the same time, because now we're in a place where I think our, you know, we're having to hire a lot of experts in different areas because, you know, we've, we've really outscaled our knowledge base, you know, so we can still own the brand and be like the chief brand officers, but you know, David, the other co-founder, nor I are 
you know, have backgrounds in finance or, you know, building organizations from a human capital perspective. Um, we're not super uh, knowledgeable in, you know, data science or technology and things like that. So it's been, we kind of started off from like a place where we thought like, oh, this will never be a big thing to now kind of really having to stretch ourselves and being humble and like, you know, building a team of expertise that fills in all the blanks of what we don't know now. Yeah. And you started during the pandemic, right? Uh, no, we were in, we're in our fifth year now. So we've had two years in the pandemic. So coming out of 2019, we, 2019 was our, probably our smallest growth year ever, but it was still great. It was like 65% or something or 75% growth. Uh, but we've been experiencing like exponential growth every year. So we had an online business, but like no budget for digital marketing, no digital marketing expertise. And we had hired a digital marketing firm that we really believed in. That's like very mission-based, you know, and, and based on social, environmental and cultural change and innovation. We also hired a new PR firm that did like brands that we really experienced respected like D2C brands like Away Luggage and MedMen and, you know, a, a bunch of other things that like we really like thought were cool and, and had a lot of like upward trajectory. And then we also had a collaboration with Casey Musgraves, who is, a you know, who had just won like album of the year at the Emmys and was this really cool liberal woman like shaking things up in the country music industry and had like a really big like queer following as well and had kind of you know become this super glamorous like cool chick you know you know muse to fashion brands and stuff and she had dm'd us and was like you know and we've been chatting and she's from texas too which was cool And we did a collab with her in February, just before the pandemic. So we had like new PR, we were pumping money into digital marketing for the first time. And we had this like hit product that just like sold out overnight. And then we had a wait list and all this stuff. So like all of this stuff was happening. Right. And then the pandemic happened. And like, literally, if you look at our D to C like March 12th through 17th of last year, when lockdown started to happen, our business just went like through the roof, like during that time period, because people were really like, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck in my house for like two or three weeks. Because people thought it would just be like, you know, we'd quarantine for three weeks and then it would go away because it only lasted two weeks. You know? Or I don't know what lies we were telling ourselves at that time, but like no one thought it'd be that long. But in that time period, like our business, our direct to consumer business just really took off. So because of all of those reasons combined, we had great press, a hit product, people were stuck at home and we were pumping money into digital marketing. And so in 2020, our D 2 C business grew 1000% over the year prior. Yeah. And our, in our wholesale business grew 50%, which was pretty astounding because we kind of turned wholesale off for a long time because we only had enough inventory to fund direct to consumer and, you know, all the major retailers were canceling POs left and right. But then soon after the pandemic started, you know, Nordstrom was like, oh, our leadership team has approved to like 
start issuing you new POs because um, home fragrance was doing so well for everyone. It was like one of the only categories that was, you know, like wellness, sweatsuits, you know, pots and pans and like home fragrance, you know, those things that really made living at home, like, you know, easy and more comfortable. What people called like, I guess the comfort economy back then, you know, all of that was doing really well. So we had just insane, insane growth that year while trying to like build an organization during a pandemic, you know, like running around trying to get candles made in people's garages. Like we like our candle factory got shut down. So we were like, take fold out tables and wax melters and empty jars and fragrance. And people were like setting up home offices you know, in their garages, because like the factory was closed and we were making candles like on the desks at the office, you know, like an assembly line. And we were very, very, very scrappy until things started to normalize. And then this year, it's just really been about catching up to that growth. Our D2C has doubled this year and our wholesale has grown 150% this year. So it's been a really exciting ride. And I'm glad that like during the pandemic specifically that candles brought a lot of like ease and happiness to people and no one was going anywhere, but you can always like light a different candle to like change things up a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yes, a new- absolutely. That's the article I was, I was reading. That's why in my mind, it's like you launched during a pandemic because I was reading all the challenges you faced yeah. during a pandemic and how you had to redo things and you know like make candles in people's garages like you said yeah it was crazy (laughs) it's amazing that's the life of an entrepreneur yeah when people talk to me about being an entrepreneur being a fashion designer be owning a beauty brand they think it's of course it has its glamorous side but it's a very it's a lot of work and it's not as glamorous sometimes absolutely You know, it reminded me of like getting ready before a fashion show, you know, like if I was like running part of the atelier or whatever, and it's like, we have 60 garments left to make before the runway show. We have, you know, seven sewers. It takes them about two and a half days to make a garment from scratch and sewing, you know, because they're doing it for the first time. And then, you know, we've got this many pattern makers in-house, we've got this many interns and like dividing the work and reshuffling it and being like, okay, these garments need to go uptown to the factory to be made. These we can make in house in the atelier. Like it was like all of those skills that I had learned when I was a fashion designer, like really were super helpful during the pandemic to like rearrange, reshuffle, pivot. Like, cause at the end of the day, like the fashion show is going to happen at 6 PM next Thursday, no matter what, you know? And like, it's an unmovable deadline that it's happening no matter what. So, you know, having to make hard decisions, rearranging, pulling in extra resources, like staying up all night, if you have to, you know, like all of that kind of stuff is, was very much what I was used to. So I'm very thankful for kind of those experiences because they really helped us get through that kind of crazy time period. Absolutely. When I listen to you talk also, you and David are both in fashion. And in some ways, yes. So when I was looking at initially at Boy Smells on Instagram, especially, I was thinking to myself, 
that it feels so much like a fashion business in some ways. It's not just a beauty, you know, it's like a fashion business. And then yeah, yeah. when I started to read about Boy Smells, I was like, ah, they were in fashion. Yeah. So that was an interesting, uh, you know, interesting detail for me. Totally. Well, could you share, like, what do you, I mean, I was going to ask you, but I think you answered my question as well. What are some of the similarities and differences between beauty and fashion now that you own a beauty brand? Yeah, I think there's a lot, whether it be getting ready for a fashion show and like all the way from an intern to like the head of design, like you understand like what that pressure is and like how nimble you have to be and like how fast you have to move like all the way to you know working at nasty gal and like working with china for the first time and understanding like how important a relationship is with you know your supplier even though they're a world away you know you still have to like build you know one-on-one relationships with those people so that you can call on favors and, you know, be prioritized when thinking about other clients and like delivering things on time all the way to like working at nasty gal, you know, I understood the importance, like at that time and place, like that brand meant a whole lot to a lot of people who shop there. It was like more than just a place to get clothes. It like, it stood for something that of like a reclaiming of power for women, for them to like kind of create their own identities. And that is, I understand like the power of a brand that it could have like for its its audience. And, and the fact that a brand is so much more powerful when it means something to people. And all of those things have like informed everything. And I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to work at like some very successful companies and lucky enough to work at some companies that have had opportunities for improvements. And I've gotten to see some wins and some losses um, in my professional career. And I didn't start Boy Smells until I was 34. So, you know, I had like a lot of, I've seen a lot of like what works and what doesn't work. And so I feel very like blessed and lucky to, been able to make mistakes and have successes um, and learn about myself as, as a person and what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And, you know, we, we didn't start the company so young where we blindly thought that we could do everything ourselves and we've had a really good team. So I feel like I feel really proud of myself and smart in the ways that I think I'm good at and very humble and lean on experts within our company and the areas that I don't know about and knowing yourself and, and being humble enough to like be good with asking for help and respecting other people for what they bring to the table. Like that comes with experience and, and wisdom. And like, I once had a therapist who was like, I always used to have like a hard time, like relying on others, or I felt bad about myself for relying on others. And like, And I learned like, you know, you can't do anything in life by yourself. Like literally it is impossible to do any, you can't get a driver's license or even pay your electricity bill. Like somebody's on the other end of that, like computing it. And like, you know, the world is built on interconnections with people. And when you build a business, like you have to surround yourself with in respect and, 
and love your team and, and really, you know, like nothing is a one man show, you know, it really isn't. Um, and that's super important. And you have to value the team that you build together. That, that you build it's it's really important you know it's uh, you are giving so much good advice to those who want to start their own brand because uh, it's just i mean i was going to ask you the question what advice would you give to those who want to start their own brand but you've already told so many good things yeah i i also started this me and david started this brand together and you know I don't know if I could have done it. Either of us could have done it on our own. And I really, really respect people that start brands on their own. And it's very overwhelming. And I know a lot of people who do not, you know, it becomes too much. So I would say that it is always like the more help you can get, the better. And I think having a partner in business is really helpful. It's can also be more stressful, you know, because it's like two people's, yeah, you know, to consider. But it also like having somebody, a sounding board, you know, a sense check, just you know, someone to be able to make decisions together with, you know, especially if you have different points of view that can be a good thing because it adds more depth and texture to the thinking. So, um, you know, with David and myself, like there's just a lot, it, it, you know, we really have challenged each other in positive and negative ways over the time. But I think even when it's been difficult, it has made, it's made the decision-making process and how we evaluate problems and how we, decision make it's been like a wealthier and it's been a wealthier process because there's more perspectives behind it absolutely wow what is the typical day like for you i'm just curious about this because also for our listeners so they get an insight to what it is like to be an entrepreneur to have a beauty brand um sure i can tell you what today's like uh every day is different so that's not an easy question necessarily to answer, but it usually starts by waking up and I have three dogs that are all rescues. And so it usually wakes up with me being half awake and letting them outside in the front yard so that they can run around for a little bit. Then I come back in and I feed them and let's see, I'll do yesterday. For example, <laughs> yesterday I had uh, like an 8.30 a.m. call with a perfumier and fragrance house about something that we're developing that I just got a recent submit on and we're having to move very, very, very quickly on it because it needs to launch in spring of next year. And it's not like totally perfect yet. So we were just going over and talking about that. Then I had an hour and a half meeting uh, with our marketing leadership just about how we're going to like restructure roles and responsibilities in that department so that we can work more efficiently. Cause I think some of our team members are feeling overwhelmed and, you know, like there's more to do than we have time for. So working with that team to try to like figure out what key hires we need to make um, next year. Then um, we had a kickoff for a new product that uh, was an hour and a half. Then I had a little bit of lunch then I had a touch base 
hour long call with a major American uh, retailer about some work that we're doing and some expansion opportunities there. Then I had a, like kind of our weekly marketing touch base followed by our weekly design touch base. Then I had a production team touch base. Then I had a marketing times like cross-functional marketing and production team uh, touch base. Then I had an hour long call on some branding stuff. And then I went to the gym and then I had a business dinner at a delicious Mexican food restaurant with our CEO and David, our other co-founder to talk about some more like long-term planning stuff. And then I went to bed. It's a busy day. <laughs> yeah. That's a busy and I think very fulfilling day. You yeah. are building something very authentic, very close to your heart. And I think it's, it's amazing. Thank you. This has been so much fun to chat with you about all of this. Oh, thank you so much. That makes me very happy. I, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful that we got the chance to talk. Yeah. And I love, I love the perspective of the fashion background and being able to like delve into that a little bit more because, um, it's not what I often get to talk about in podcasts or in interviews. And I think it's like so essential to my personal journey and like what makes me being able to do voicemail successful. So I appreciate you uh, asking those questions and me being able to share that. Uh, thank you very much. And you know, when you were talking, I thought to myself, whenever I'm talking to entrepreneurs, one thing becomes to me even more clear that everything that you did before, even if it was making coffee, I have a friend, yeah. she's actually a jewelry designer here based in Paris. She worked at Dior as an intern and she made coffee for John Galliano back in the day when John Galliano worked there. And that was her job to make coffee or tea whenever he wanted. But everything that you do in the earlier days of your career, in let's say before, somehow comes all together later on. And you know, it's uh, but it's to realize that you have to be present, you have to keep uh, your heart open, keep your mind open and say, hey, David, let's create a candle. Let's uh, call it boy smells. And then, you know, knock on wood. I'm part Turkish, so I'm saying knock on wood. Hopefully you'll see even better, better, better future than this. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, we have, it's an exciting time and we feel super grateful and we're really excited to share what genderfulness can yes. mean. Um, we just happen to make candles and find fragrance right now, but we believe that like genderfulness is an opportunity for many more product verticals, you know, within the business. So um, I think it'll be really a fun next couple of years to see what we can do with our brand beliefs and, and how we can see that be executed into more products. So. Maybe we can talk again in a couple of years. I, and talk I would love to. I would love to. And I hope to meet you in person one day as well. Hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation. What a lovely person Matthew is. Humble, hardworking and creative. He's the embodiment of a creative entrepreneur. If you are interested to learn more about what it takes to create a brand from the ground up, check out my newly released book on fashion entrepreneurship. It's one of a kind book to offer historical account of how the industry came to be. 
you will learn about designers who shape the business and find out what you need to do in order to start a successful fashion brand. And tune in to our next week's episode, where I'm going to be talking to Andy Torres of Style Scrapbook, one of the original influencers. She's a good friend of mine and we met each other many years ago. We will explore how she got started, the highs and lows of being in the industry. See you soon.